Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello and welcome to the last episode where we will talk about the 2019-2020 Bundesliga season. We will be wrapping up the season here on Bavarian Podcast Works very quickly. We're not going to get into every detail. We're not going to talk about every game. We're just going to ask some objective questions and then answer some of the questions that you asked us on Twitter via the hashtag AskBPW. So let's get underway with those right now, right off the bat. Unfortunately, Chuck's not here with us. We're joined by Tom. Chuck's off doing, I don't know, something that Philadelphians do. I couldn't figure out a joke for that in nearly enough time. But uh, So we're going to talk about five specific categories. We're going to be talking about the least valuable player on the team, most valuable player, the most improved player, the best game that Bayern played in the Bundesliga this season, and the best goal we think was scored in the Bundesliga this season. So, Tom, start us off with your pick for least valuable player. And, of course, we're just going to get the stipulation out there that we don't dislike anybody on this squad. We just think that these players' performances may have been lacking in some areas. So, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, your expectations are one thing at the beginning of the season, but so many things happen over the course of the season, especially when, you know, the season and all of the seasons in Europe are, you know, brought to a screeching halt by a global pandemic. Obviously, no one was expecting that. But with all of that considered, um, I put a lot of thought into this. There was a few candidates that kind of stuck out in my mind. Um, but given uh, my background with both Liverpool and Bayern Munich, I picked Philippe Coutinho for my least valuable player uh, of this season. I did take into consideration the circumstances circumstances, excuse me, with which both he and Ivan Perisic were bought uh, at the end of the last summer transfer window. Obviously, a lot of things hadn't gone to plan, but even still, um, with him being loaned from Barcelona, I expected a lot more from Coutinho, especially with the way he started the season. I think he got a couple of starts in the beginning of the season against uh, Schalke and then right after against Mainz. Uh, and in those two games, I just remember seeing a lot of very, very positive flashes because he had started as kind of a number 10 role in both of those games. And uh, one of the players I really thought he linked up very well with was Lewandowski. And watching a lot of the exchanges where there was a lot of one-twos where they were looking for each other in tight spaces or you know try and play each other into open spaces and dangerous areas, I really thought that we were seeing the beginning of what was going to be a very, very deadly partnership in the Bundesliga. And as I mentioned, a lot of things happened over the course of the season. At the time, Nico Kovac was our manager, so things were a lot different. We had a certain Ramdeuter who wasn't getting the minutes he deserved, uh, potentially because of Coutinho and Kovac's continued faith in Coutinho. So we all know how that turned out because... Kovac was gone. Muller started to play like a god again, and he was one of our most important players of the season. So just for me, Coutinho, there were just so many positive flashes. Uh, you know, his hat trick against Werder Bremen, positive link-up play with Lewandowski constantly playing both either wide left or centrally as that number 10 role. He even came on a couple times as a deeper-lying midfielder. 
I just thought even, as I said, with the circumstances he was purchasing, more was expected of him. Yes, he did have some injury problems. He's always had that often on again ankle issue. This dates back to his time at Liverpool. It was something they kind of put off and never really had an operation on. Um, and I think during the, the pandemic is when he had it operated on and just he kind of perhaps lost out on an opportunity to get more minutes, especially as the season restarted and kind of came to a, a dwindling halt as we won with a couple of weeks to spare. But all things considered, I just expected a lot more from Coutinho as someone who's seen him uh, both at his very best and his very worst with both Bayern, Liverpool, and you know at Barcelona as well. And uh, It's just a shame, but who knows what's going to happen with him as far as the next transfer window. But yeah, expected a lot more from him this season. To me, I had a couple of contenders in mind as well, and there were really two, and it came along the back line. To me, I kept going back and forth between um, two players that have spent some time in Spain. The first one was Luca Hernandez. To me, I didn't think that he really lived up to the potential that he had riding on his shoulders with being the highest paying transfer that Byron had ever made in the club's history at 80 89 million euro. However, I will add that he was relatively well disciplined. He only had 3 red cards or 3 yellow cards on the year and he also bagged an assist. He had a pretty low match rating out of all of the consistent starters on the team. He had the lowest match rating according to who scored out of everybody with a 6.51. But the person I'm actually going to go with is somebody that didn't put up similar stat lines. He had three yellow cards like Hernandez, but also had a red card. He didn't put up any stats at all. He only made 16 appearances to Luca's 19, and he didn't have any injuries at all, and had a 6.6 match rating. Could be argued that three less games could have brought it up to a 6.6, but regardless, the player I'm talking about is Javi Martinez. He hasn't really shown his form. Whenever I saw him get on the pitch in a defensive role as opposed to a more central midfield ball distribution role, I would clench up and be very, very terrified for the amount of time that he was out on the field. You've seen over time that he's lost a lot of pace. You've seen that he's lost the ability to jockey with attackers. And that's something that he has been able to do in the past. But now you watch his play and it's very clear that whatever he had back in 2012, 2013, 2014, he doesn't necessarily have it anymore. And it's sad to see because I have very fond memories of Javi Martinez, both in the center back and the center defensive midfield roles for Bayern. But I mean, the writing's on the wall for this one. I think that he should go back to a club where he can get some consistent starting time. I hope that's Athletic Bilbao, his uh, his original club. It's great to see a Basque player going back to the one major Basque club in the region. And for all the Real Sociedad fans out there that want to dispute that statement, you can come and find me and fight me. But 
Martinez has lost his usefulness at Bayern Munich, other than being an extra body out there to distribute the ball. To me, I think you can find players within the roster that do a better job than that, and statistically, Corentin Tolisso and Mikhail Cuisance, who are the 18th and 16th best players in terms of match rating, according to who scored respectively, Cuisance in 16th, Tolisso in 18th, they both distribute the ball a little bit better. They've done it in less match time, but keep in mind, Cuisance is 20. Tolisso wasn't necessarily the pick of Nico Kovac, and he also had injuries. So we will talk about Tolisso later. One of your questions popped that up, but to me, I think there are better options out there other than Javi Martinez. So moving away from the negative, let's go to the positive. Tom, who's your most valuable player for this Bayern squad this year? For me, this was the most difficult category because there were so many players for us that I truly felt uh, and genuinely felt had fantastic seasons, especially with all things considered, you know, sacking our manager, having a huge adjustment, having a global pandemic bring us to a halt for in between two and three months. Um, and I had someone in my mind, uh, and then when I was asked to do the most valuable player write-up for uh, BFW's polls, you know, all of us staffers had had done a private poll uh, to get an idea as a as a staff team who we thought uh, won in each respective category. So initially, I was going to pick a certain someone who's a prolific goal scorer, but having done the write-up for us based on our results, I was going to, or I excuse me, I picked. David Alaba, for a number of reasons. I think he's been one of our most consistent players over the course of the season. I think it was a tremendous ask. Um, so technically, Nico Kovac was the first one to move him to center back in that infamous 5-1 loss to Kovac's former club, Eintracht Frankfurt. But that game should obviously not serve as any sort of a barometer for how the rest of the season went, especially right after Hansi Flick took charge, because that we all know just how well that back four of Alfonso Davies, David Alaba, Jerome Boateng, and Benjamin Pavard performed over the course of the season. And uh, I might add how quickly they started performing well uh, after Hansi Flick had taken charge. And Two of the things that just really stuck out to me, you know, they were things I did not, I was completely unaware of before I had done uh, the write-up and some close analysis and research on David Alaba and some of his numbers from this season. Uh, but two of the things that stuck out were his 90.8% pass completion rate uh, in the Bundesliga this season, which it was the sixth best in the league and the best in Bayern's squad. So that's something to me is, especially for a team like Bayern, we are a possession-based football club. Yes, teams do like to pick and choose their times to press us and disrupt our play from the back, but a lot of our play does start and come through the back. So you need center backs and defenders that are wise with their distribution out of the back. Otherwise, nothing is going to work and everything is going to be reverted to direct play, long balls over the top, which can leave yourself very, very open. Uh, so to me, it's something that alludes to David Alba rarely ever missing the target. Um, that's a sign of a veteran player. He knows exactly where to be putting the ball at what times, where to be moving to give his teammates support uh, when he plays quicker passes in tighter areas, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the second stat that also stuck out to me, 
And it also kind of made me watch a lot of highlights, uh, some of his long passes. So it might be a little bit of a tongue twister, but so he had a total of 15,534 total yards of progressive pass distance. Uh, now this, I used a, a website called fbref.com. They do a lot of very interesting statistics uh, in the Bundesliga for a lot of different, uh, both individual and, and team statistics. So this is measured by passes that travel towards the other team's goal. Um, and he had the most of any outfield player in the Bundesliga. All of the others ahead of him, he was uh, seventh or eighth, I believe. And one, yes, eighth. Uh, and one through seven were all goalkeepers. And I looked it up. So goal kicks are included in this statistic. So you have to consider how much distance is covered on average on a goal kick if a goalkeeper doesn't decide to play it short, you know, with his within his own box as the laws have changed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, just reading this stat, I had a lot of flashes in my mind. You're like, I'm like, you know what? Alaba does play a lot of long balls, and they hardly ever miss the target. So if you combine the 90.8% pass completion ratio and the 15,534 total yards of progressive pass distance, that should tell you something. Even when he's playing it long and, and taking, quote-unquote, a more riskier pass, it's most often finding the target. So not only can he make the wise passes out of the back and keep possession neat and tidy. When he sees an opening forward, he can make that ball. And if you go watch highlights of him, there's so many balls that he plays right over the top, pinpoint for Lewandowski, Thomas Muller, Gnabry, Kings of Coman, you name it. Uh, that's just something that I think is a very, very valuable and oftentimes overlooked asset with center backs. I know personally I sometimes get on Boateng's case for you know, prematurely or unwisely pulling the trigger on long diagonals but with a player like Alaba you know with his his veteran leadership and his experience he moved positions from left back to center back to accommodate Alfonso Davies never an easy an easy ask um, I think it shows a lot that he was able to make that switch and I think those statistics really speak for themselves and you know hashtag Alaboom we can't we can't forget that pretty much every time the guy scores it's an absolute world of a free kick so for me Alaba took the cake and he was the most valuable player of the season for us this one also took me a little while and I guess the best way to frame this is not necessarily a conversation of the most valuable player but really who the second most valuable player is because we really can't look past the fact that Robert Lewandowski this year scoring 34 goals getting four assists in just the Bundesliga is an absolutely phenomenal accomplishment. He was an absolute boss this year. But I guess the question that I would ask is who the second best player is because Lewandowski doesn't always just dribble it up the field. He often gets help. So the question relies on... The, uh, the answer for me relies on the question of who provided him the most clear goal-scoring opportunities and gave him the ability to go out there and be the best forward in the world and the guy that obviously deserves to win the Ballon d'Or. To me, it really came down to two players, both of which I'm going to mention their stat lines because they're absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to start with the person that I didn't pick, and that's Sarge Gnabry. Gnabry had 12 goals, 10 assists, with an 82.3% passing rating, according to who scored. Who scored also gave him seven men of the match awards and a 7.49 match rating over 26 starts and five substitute appearances. However, the reason why I didn't pick Gnabry is because on a team that has been begging 
for wing depth. Gnabry's role was never in doubt, in my mind. His starting position when he was healthy was never in doubt. He performed to an amazing ability. Who could forget his performance against Tottenham in the Champions League? But to me, my most valuable player, and I haven't really been able to say this in seasons past, so it makes me really happy to say that my favorite player on this team, the player that made me fall in love with this team, is my most valuable player this year. Because you don't become... leading The Bundesliga's leading a sister if you're a bad player. And over the years, he's always had to fight for his spot. He's had questions over his head of, do I belong here, despite being one of the few Minchinos that are actually on this team. But I really do think that this was the year that Thomas Müller finally showed to the world that he belonged at this Bayern Munich team and that at 30 years old, he had so much adversity that he had to go through. He had to start off with a coach that didn't necessarily want to play him all the time. He had to deal with the fact that there was another player that came in, Philippe Coutinho, who I said it on previous podcasts, is probably better at a left wing position than at center attacking midfield. But nevertheless, another world-class player came in and tried to supplant him at a position that he's always been the best at. And he had to deal with the fact that his country didn't want him anymore. And he was unceremoniously cut by Yogi Love in a, in a stupid, stupid decision. And he went out and he showed everybody why he's the best. His 78% passing, not the best. But he has 21 assists, so I can ignore that 78% passing because he was accurate. Eight goals as well this season is not something that one should laugh at. 26 starts, seven substitute appearances, over 2,250 minutes this year. Muller's really, really been phenomenal. It's awesome to see him go out there and fight for his role, but now that he's comfortably got his hands on it, there's no question in my mind that Bayern are just a better team with him out there on the pitch, and it's awesome to see that as a fan of his. So, Tom, let's go through these last three really quickly. Most improved player of the year, in your opinion? Again, another category had so many candidates, but for me, I absolutely had to pick Leon Goretzka, and it no, it's not just because of hashtag gains. You know, he quite obviously put on easily four to five pounds of muscle during the pandemic. You know, I'm really curious to see what, as a fitness uh, enthusiast and professional myself, I'd be very curious to see what his diet uh, and exercise routine was um, in addition to what they were doing for team training during the pandemic. But other than that, I think this is a guy who, uh, in the beginning of the season, might not have got as many minutes as he would have liked under Nico Kovac or Hansi Flick, respectively. Injuries to both uh, Quarantan Tolisso and Thiago Alcantara definitely helped his case uh, at different times in the season. And I just think he was a guy didn't really seem to me that, or seemed to me like he was a player who had the full confidence that we've seen towards the end of the season, uh, particularly after the, the Bundesliga restart. I think we all know just how effective he was. To me, he's a guy, he's always possessed that athleticism. And I, cho I know Chuck has 
spoken oftentimes about this. You know, he's always willing to put his head down and put a real shift in as a real kind of box-to-box midfielder. Uh, but sometimes he would just kind of have that bullish play, that aggressive play where he'd wind up fouling a lot, would take heavy touches. You know, the ball would kind of get away from him and he wasn't able to execute probably what he wanted to do in his head and what he was envisioning. But, you know, for whatever reason, he just seemed to get a, a run of positive performances and really string together some confidence. And I think he was really coming to fruition right before uh, coronavirus broke out. And then I just think he was a completely rejuvenated, regenerated player after the uh, the brief break. And he was just, for me, night and day between Leon Goretzka from the beginning of the season to Leon Goretzka during the Bundesliga restart. I think he was... You know, was asked to play a multitude of different roles in the center of midfield. Uh, I think he was a guy he knew when to cover when Kimmich was committed forward and, and vice versa. He knew where to be when Bayern were on attack, when they were uh, getting caught on the counterattack, when they were you know, passing the ball out of the back. I just think he was, uh, for me, 100% the most improved player, even though there were a lot of candidates. I know a lot of people think that I'm going to go with Alfonso Davies, and they're right. Because, honestly, I can't imagine a better player to fit this role, right? We're talking about a 19-year-old who last year made his Bundesliga debut towards the end of the season and was mostly considered just somebody that could be played in a occasional backup wing position. Never really somebody that he would start over Kingsley Coman when he was healthy, start over Gnabry when he was healthy, or even if you decided to be an idiot and put Thomas Müller on the right wing and not in his natural central attacking midfield position, maybe you could put him there. But instead, what he did was he stepped up in a time of crisis at the Bayern back line, and he became arguably the greatest left back in the world in this moment. Now, if you've heard our conversation with Ian Paul Joy, Ian mentioned that he never really pegged Alfonso Davies as the best left back in the world because by trade he is a left midfielder or right midfielder or just a general forward on the wings. And I completely agree with that. But if Alfonso Davies is going to use his current position in the future to break into the first team and really turn himself into that, I can't imagine a better campaign to try to start that off than in this year. He's been phenomenal. He's been stepping up at the exact times that Byron has needed him to, and for that, he gets most improved player in my book, though a close second will be Banchaman Pavar because he was one of the few bright spots on a on a Stuttgart team that did very, very poorly last year, and he himself had a very poor season, and then he turned it around. But if Alfonso Davies didn't have the breakout year that he did, I would have given it to Pavar. But Davies obviously became one of the best players in the world over the last couple of months surely the best young player in the world um if we don't count Kylian Mbappe and even still I'll probably give that to him this year over Mbappe so best Bundesliga game for you Tom what would that be for me this is just uh 
you know, the timeline uh, of everything of the season. Flicky Flocka, hashtag trust and flick coming to full fruition. This game came at the end of, it might have been the end of February, beginning of March. It was our 6-0 win uh, over Hoffenheim, which was unfortunately stained by the protests uh, against Dietmar Hopp. But completely aside from that, I think we all remember that the scoreline was 6-0 before the protest had even had any sort of impact on the match whatsoever. Um, and it's important to remember, so this win came directly after our 3-0 win against Chelsea in the Champions League in the first leg of the round of 16, which we all remember Robert Lewandowski suffered the knee injury, uh, and there was a lot of questions and concerns surrounding Bayern's fortunes because he was slated to be out for... I believe it was almost a month, and he was going to wind up missing a handful of games for us, including the second leg against Chelsea and Dare Classicer, which we obviously wound up winning uh, in the restart with that lovely Kimmich chip. But had it took place when it was supposed to, we would not have had our uh, pro prolific number nine. Uh, I believe jo Joshua Xerxes had started in place of him in that game against Hoffenheim and wound up scoring. And for me, this this was just complete domination from Bayern. And as I said, full circle and coming to full fruition this was Hansi Flick's Bayern uh, at their best you know before everything shut down unfortunately due to uh, coronavirus I think we had one more Bundesliga game after that the 2-0 win against Augsburg but um, nonetheless I just think this this game showcased we were away from home Hoffenheim I believe were in the middle of the table at that point we had just come off of a very difficult test on the road which we passed for flying with flying colors against Chelsea in the Champions League and Hoffenheim had absolutely nothing in that game. We absolutely suffocated them, bossed possession. Quite frankly, the 6-0 could have even flattered Hoffenheim. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of off-the-field happenings from that game that sort of, you know, plagued the headlines and dominated the headlines. But, you know, that's neither here nor there in the context of the actual football that was played. Um, and for me, that was just a, a game that stuck out. Bayern, full throttle, at their best, without their prolific number 9, Lewandowski, uh, you can't beat it. Unfortunately, what happened happened during that game with Dietmar Hopp and all of the protests. But, yeah, you can absolutely take nothing away from how terrific Bayern were on the pitch on that afternoon. To me, and when we talk about the best game of the season, it has to involve a couple of things. It has to involve either being incredibly close with a high number of goals or just be phenomenal in terms of the high goal scoring output. So when I say that I put down your answer as my first gut reaction, saying in my head that you would probably go with the first win over Dortmund, I did it with confidence. But I will say we need to contextualize that 4 nothing win over Dortmund at the Allianz, right? Niko Kovac had just been fired. Bayern Munich had just come off their worst loss of the season, a 5-1 loss at the Commerzbank Arena to an Eintracht Frankfurt side that this season had been really bad, that hadn't been able to find a goal-scoring form consistently from anybody, let alone Ante Rebic, one of their best goal scorers from the previous year. It also didn't help that Jerome Boateng got red-carded early on, but that's neither here nor there. They fired their head coach, and they went with a coach in Hansi Flick who had last coached 
Hoffenheim when they were in the uh, in the third division. So confidence was relatively low, right? Bayern were playing uh, Red Star Belgrade, a team they had pretty handily beaten before. So sure. I guess you could have looked at that game and say, yeah, Bayern could have easily won that one. But let's all admit, we were all terrified going into that weekend Dortmund game. We all thought that we were going to get absolutely pummeled. We didn't know Hansi's tactics. We didn't know how the players were going to take it. We didn't know especially how the young players were going to take it. Sure, we were at home, but to win 4 nil is just something no one should have expected in their right mind. I didn't. I honestly thought we were going to get pummeled that game. I didn't think we weren't going to score, but I still thought that a 3 or a 4-1 was on the cards. But for Bayern to come out and 4-0 them with that ease and that much fun, I just remember everyone looked like they were having fun that game. And to me, that is why... It was the best game because it was so unexpected. It didn't seem like there was going to be a positive result on the cards for Bayern. And somehow they were able to pull it out. And I've never questioned Hansi Flick ever since. Um, Lastly, quickly, best goal of the season. Well, obviously this one was the most difficult because we had quite a few to choose from. Obviously, Bayern were Centurions in the goal-scoring department in the Bundesliga, having scored 100 goals. So quite literally, we had 100 goals to choose from. Uh, But for me, uh, in my head, just at first glance, before I even looked or rewatched any highlights, uh, the 6-1 win over Werder Bremen in the Hinrund, I believe it was the middle of December, stuck out in my mind, just the, uh, the Coutinho hat trick. You know, all of his goals were absolute top class. The little dink over Pavlenka, uh, the absolute curler at the end that hit the inside of the post. But it was actually Byron's fourth goal of that game, uh, Robert Lewandowski's second of that match that stuck out to me as one of my favorite and, in my opinion, one of the best goals uh, of the season in the Bundesliga for Bayern. Kind of the context of it, you know, we had the buildup was uh, coming from the back. I can't remember who played the forward pass to Perisic. Perisic uh, zinged in a pass to Lewandowski. Right on the edge of the 18, he was surrounded by three or four Werder Bremen defenders. Uh, and immediately you see Perisic follow his run and make a diagonal run with Serge Gnabry uh, to the right corner of the box, which pretty much attracted two or three Werder Bremen players. Lewandowski had a cute little layoff to Muller, who was standing, I would say, maybe 10 yards behind him. And he snuck around. Uh, the Werder Bremen defense held his run perfectly to beat the offside line, and it was one of those vintage, quintessential Muller little lofts right over the top of the, uh, the Werder Bremen back line. It was a little dink chip from, I would say, maybe six or seven yards outside of the D on the 18. Lewandowski does a full-on Bundesliga logo to trap the ball, takes one little touch to open up his hips, and yeah, Pavlenka had absolutely no chance. Bang. Bottom right corner, Lewandowski, second of the game. En route to a 6-1 win over Werder Bremen. Was a great performance, was a fantastic goal. And, I mean, how many times has Lewandowski done that Bundesliga logo this season? Is like the guy just absolutely loves imitating that logo. And for me, that was just a great team goal. I absolutely love team goals. Worldies are nice. Amazing free kicks are nice. But I just love it when, you know, team play and, and a great 
passing sequence leads to a goal like this. So for me, that was my pick of the season. My pick, I'll rattle it off very quickly. There were two great goals in Bayern's 2-0 win over Augsburg when they wore the 120th anniversary kits. The first one was this excellent goal from Thomas Müller, and that is my pick, though I will mention both of them. The second one was amazing. It was great through play, great back-and-forth passing. Somehow someone was able to find uh, Leon Goretzka in the middle, and he was able to turn that in. But watch that first goal, and don't tell him. And, and I would be shocked if anybody says that they didn't feel utter and complete joy watching Jerome Boateng launch a 37-yard ball into the box over everybody on that Augsburg team just to have Thomas Muller just lay a nice foot onto it and turn that one in. It was just so effortless, so classy, it made me laugh. And that is why I picked that as my goal of the season. Honorable mention, obviously going to that Augsburg goal and also Tiago's goal against Mainz where he nutmegged a guy dribbling the ball into the box. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will tackle all of your questions that you've asked us over the last couple of weeks, and we'll see which answers we've got for you. So stay tuned. Welcome back, and now we are talking your questions that you've posed to us on Twitter via the hashtag AskBPW. We have five of them, and that's pretty good considering as this is going to be our last podcast until the Champions League, uh, unless, of course, there's some random breaking transfer that none of us expected. Because um, there's no games that we have to talk about because the Premier League is basically done and dusted. Um, so, Tom, tell me what we got. The first question comes from at TN underscore Mia San Mia. And that person asks, who is the odd man out when Nicolas Zula gets back to full match fitness? Obviously, we have a lot of issues with defensive injuries this season. So, Jake, I'll let you go first, uh, and then I will follow. It's going to be Jerome Boateng, and I think that's the right answer. Because let's be fully honest, with Jerome Boateng, he has had a bunch of rough spots this season. Over the end of the season, he's been very good. But... You can't tell me throughout the entire season that he's been very reliable. So when a fully healthy 24-year-old Nicolas Sula comes back and is able to be playing for Bayern in the Champions League, you better believe that he's going to take a spot over a 32-year-old Jerome Boateng. I think that's a simple and an easy answer. Even with great performances from like David Alaba, even if Luca Hernandez comes back, I still see uh, Alaba and Sula being a strong center back pairing together. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, Jake, 100%. I agree with you there. And, you know, I think Boateng knows it. You know, I think he's well aware of the fact that a lot of the circumstances with injuries this season kind of really helped him. Um, but to give him credit, he took his opportunity in those situations and he did what he had to. And, he did quite well for us, and, you know, he was a, a steadfast presence in the back line. My one concern, you know, the day after April call final immediately comes to mind when he made that stretching save and injured himself and had to come off. You remember, especially towards the end of the season after the Bundesliga restart, there was like uh, a handful of games where he could only go 70 minutes. He was always being replaced by 
Luca Hernandez, which in Boateng's mind is something he might be thinking about again, considering that we're going to have, well, technically the league can vote on the amendment, but we're going to have five subs again, uh, presumably next season uh, per the IFAB. So a guy like Boateng, whose fitness is always in question as far as lasting the entire 90 minutes, I'm sure that's in the back of his mind, but for me, he has to be the odd man out. And that's just assuming that, you know, knock on wood. I don't know if you can hear that on the mic. I'm literally knocking on wood that Luca Hernandez does not have another serious injury. Um, you know, <laughs> at one point, our record signing, hardly getting any time and just having the worst luck with injury. You know, I'm just very hopeful, keeping my fingers crossed and knocking on wood that that doesn't happen again. But if it does, I mean, <laughs> It could be a toss-up between Boateng and Luca Hernandez being the odd man out in that situation. But without injuries, I'm going to have to agree with you, Boateng, because um, Nicolas Zula is very effective when he's fully fit, uh, fully healthy, and ready to go. So getting into our second question, this is a little bit different, has to do with the coverage of the Bundesliga and what the future is going to look like. So at Jeremy P. Gove asks, what are we expecting from ESPN broadcasting the Bundesliga? And he mentions the Pokal was a lot of Havertz moving to Chelsea and trying everything to talk about the Premier League and Bundesliga players like Havertz going to the Premier League. And he also adds, special shout out, hoping for more Derek Ray. And I know that we obviously have a very large affinity for Derek Ray here at BFW and BPW. We have a very good connection with Derek. And it's one of the things that I was very happy to do with this podcast and I can't imagine doing anywhere else other than on this podcast. I have a very, I have a very close affinity with a number of people at ESPN, including a couple of people at ESPN soccer. And what I will say is this without revealing the names of anybody, uh, keeping things on the on the down low what i will say to bundesliga fans is this there are people that are there that want to make the bundesliga the best possible product that they can they know that there are a lot of obstacles to doing that chiefly among which is money right and this isn't a criticism of espn it it's just a general observation that i have seen being somebody that is actively trying to get a job in media, actively trying to get a job in sports media, and actively trying to get a job in soccer media. Sports media is bleeding very, very badly. You can see that in our parent company, who let go a number of very, very, very good writers this week. It's not something that I like to see. It's something that makes me feel very sad. ESPN, in their first season of the Bundesliga, especially during this pandemic, especially seeing as finances for every sports company when they deal with media are low, they might run into a couple of problems. So what I will say, as somebody that has a vested interest in wanting ESPN and wanting the Bundesliga to do well as a whole, as I hope you all do as well. You want to see the Bundesliga do well. You want to see ESPN do it the correct way. I will advocate for patience because there are some things that they may want to do that they may not have the resources to do, especially in a time like this. So 
what I hope is that they're able to take this, maybe establish themselves for a year, and when everything comes out on the other side of this pandemic a little smoother and the waters have calmed down and the storm has gone off a little bit, then they're able to invest more into the uh, into the Bundesliga and to growing the league and to finding an affinity and finding a greater audience for the league. And specifically talking about Havertz moving to Chelsea and the Premier League, I'll say this. Uh, Taylor Twellman, and only because I'm just blanking on the name of his co-host. I'm incredibly sorry. Adrian Healy is his co-host. Yes, Adrian Healy, that's right. They both do MLS and American soccer very well, right? So in order to draw a connection directly to this game, they may have had to mention Chelsea, right? Because American soccer fans might have tuned into the Bundesliga for the first time and not necessarily knew what was happening. But if they mentioned Chelsea, there might be some people that draw a connection to Christian Pulisic, right? We can't expect that everybody that tunes into an average Bundesliga game or an average DFB Pokal game knows everything about German soccer. But also, to be said to that, it's not like they were talking about Havertz moving to Chelsea and the DFB Pokal finale was us against Dortmund. It was us against Bayer Leverkusen. And Havertz plays for Bayer Leverkusen. And arguably the biggest story of this upcoming transfer window is going to be where Kai Havertz goes. So in my mind, I don't think that's as egregious as some other things that I've seen networks do when talking about the Bundesliga. So again, I'll just say, give them patience, give them time. Resources may be dry and they might not be able to do everything that we hope in this first season. So I would advocate to hold back on that a little bit. I think that you pretty much covered all the bases, Jake. I specifically remember actually your first interview on Bavarian Podcast worked with Derek Ray. You guys, for uh, a good portion of that interview, actually discussed in great detail the Bundesliga moving uh, to ESPN. And I remember Derek speaking a lot about how uh, a lot of the market, uh, especially with a club like Bayern and the league like the Bundesliga, there's such a desire to expand the marketplace in both China and the United States that a lot of things are going to be moving to streaming services. Obviously, ESPN Plus uh, is one of the largest ones. So there's definitely going to be a monumental shift in the whole football, footballing world and sporting world itself uh, to streaming services like ESPN Plus. Um, for me, it's actually kind of serendipitous that we're approaching this question uh, last night on the way to work um, and the way home from work, I was listening to Stylecast by uh, Raphael Honingstein and his co-host. They were talking about this very thing, um, you know, broaching the subject. How do we, how do we not glorify, but how do we better approach the promotion of the Bundesliga without bastardizing the idea that what makes it so great is there's such a anti-commercialization passion and love amongst its supporters and the people of Germany. And you know the guys on Stylecast went into great detail about 
how the Bundesliga and Germany as a country and the German leagues as a whole are kind of underselling themselves to the rest of the global marketplace, which was a very interesting topic to listen to. And, you know, they, they brought up teams like Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, how much they've grown uh, in the Asian and the, the U.S. marketplaces. And they also talked about even the Frauen Bundesliga, like uh, how amazing has the uh, the VFL Wolfsburg Frauen been? I mean, they're one of the greatest women's team uh, in world soccer right now. And you, there's just so much more that could be done from a social media aspect, from an advertising aspect. So there's a lot of things that, that can be done. But I know uh, our very own Marcus... Iridal from uh, BFW are, uh, as I called him the other day, the resident footballing romantic. You know, he's a big fan of those smaller teams, those teams with low budgets, you know, doing well and, uh, you know, how passionate their fan bases are. As I said a few minutes ago, how do we walk that fine line between the necessary promotion but not bastardizing, you know, the true passionate fans? You know, Germany, a lot of people, I know that you and I know, and most of the people who are in our community know, but most people don't know. It's like, it's such a working class league. Like you go to stadiums over there, Jake, I'm sure you've been to plenty of professional sporting uh, events in the U S and you know, I won't name names. I won't name franchises, but going to a local NFL game for me, it's like, if I want uh, a beer and a pretzel or like a beer and chicken tenders, it's like almost $30. Uh, and in Germany, from what I understand, you can get, you know, a sausage and a beer for, you know, just a couple of Euro. And that's the way it's designed, you know, for the fans, for the working class. And so there's definitely a way to, to kind of, you know, mold those two sections. As I said, the, the passion and the whole working class aspect and the promotion. But, um, I like you, I, I don't know many of the fine details. I could say as an answer, they should just hire guys like us because <laughs> we all put our heart and soul uh, into covering the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich, but uh, I agree with you. I do have faith and confidence that they're putting the right pieces into place, um, and they're not going to go into this lightly. Um, and that's exactly what I hope, because I would hate for this league, uh, as beautiful as it is, to be undersold and not given uh, the proper attention and the the proper limelight that it so thoroughly deserves, in my opinion. I'm sure you probably share the same. So. Moving on to the next question. This one has to do with our midfield. It's from at you play a what? And they ask if both Tiago and Javi Martinez are sold, does Bayern bring in someone new or do we rely on Taliso, Cuisance, Adrian Fain, assuming that Kimmich and Goretzka are bona fide starters? I know it's all rumor right now, but I really do hope that Tiago stays. That being said, to directly address this question, I think Martinez is gone this summer. I also think that Tiago is gone this summer. I, I just think it's obvious. I think it's I think it's bound to happen. I think Liverpool want him too much. I think that Klopp sees something in him that somehow the Bayern team isn't able to figure it out. Just give the man a contract already, Jesus Christ. But... I think the three that you just listed there, Corentin Tolisso, Mikhail Cuisance, Adrian Fain, if they're backups to Kimmich and Goretzka, I'm fine with that. To me, I'm fine with that because let's think about this in in reality, right? Kimmich is an amazing ball distributor, and he pushes up the field. Same thing as Goretzka, right? Thiago also has those kind of qualities. 
But what Tiago also does probably better than anybody else on this team is he's a great person to start a buildup. He's phenomenal at reading the field, being intelligent, picking out plays, and getting them started. Out of the three that you mentioned as potential replacements, I look at that list and I think that Corentin Tolisso has the intelligence and the mental fortitude to be able to do that better than than the others. I think he's smart enough to know when to push up the field. He's smart enough to sit back. But in the 13 games that he's played this season, somehow he wasn't able to fully show that. I have a really, I've got a soft spot in my heart for Corentin Tolisso, and I really think that he's going to have a breakout season this year if he's given the opportunity and he's given the time. But to me, I think Bayern has a glut of midfielders right now. If we do end up selling Thiago and we do end up selling Javi Martinez, I feel perfectly fine bringing Corentin Tolisso into the fold and keeping him there. I'd be perfectly happy with all of that. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Pretty much all signs point to both Thiago and Martinez leaving at this point. For me, as both a Bayern and Liverpool fan, it's a very awkward place to be in. Um, I just don't, like, who would he directly displace in the Liverpool squad? I don't exactly know at this point. Keita. Would he be starting? Right, it would probably be Nabi Keita. Well, you have to remember, like, Klopp for so much of the season, mind you, when Liverpool were playing very well, so end of 2019, very beginning of 2020, quite often it was Fabinho Henderson and Jeannie Vinaldum, uh, and, and Kaita had so many injury problems and he hardly got a sniff. It's only been since the restart that he's actually been playing a decent amount. Uh, so, but yes. So let's play this game. Tom, let's quickly play this game. Do you think Thiago is a better midfielder than Jeannie Vinaldum? yes or no? <sighs> you, this is putting me on the biggest... I'm going to BPW do this. I'm going to do this. Do you think Tiago is a better midfielder than Genie Wijnaldum? I yes think or no? he is better on the ball, yes. I think Tiago is better on the ball. Do you think he's better than Fabinho, who arguably could also be a center back? Um, I think Fabinho is more of a destroyer. I think he has a lot more defensive capability than Tiago does, but distributing and on the ball, I think, again, Tiago is, is better in that department. And putting your biases aside, do you think he's a better midfielder and a better distributor than Hendo? I know you're going to say Ooh. no, but I think you know deep down that the answer is yes. That is cutting in so deep. <laughs> heart that man, that man is the heartbeat of this team at the moment, and I'm sure you actually know. Like he's injured and he's out for the season, and we can just tell how much he's missed. And I, I have to personally just leave that question unanswered for my love of Liverpool and Jordan Henderson. I'll respect that. I'll respect <laughs> that. But yeah, to like. Go for full circle with that. The one thing I would just add to the whole situation with Tiago and Javi and then Talisa, Cuisance, and Fain is also um, Tangai Kuasi. Well, Tangai uh, Nianzu, or I apologize if I'm Ta- Tangi Nianzu Kuasi. He's got he's got yeah, three names. He's he's the new he, Ol- Oliver Batista Meyer. And is he not? He's a, like a defensive midfielder from PSG. He's if I a recall center correctly. back by trade that can play center defensive mid. So more like Fabinho than um, than a center mid that can also play center back. He he plies his trade more as a center back. Uh, okay, 
Well, I was going to say, I mean, obviously I don't think he would be coming in and displacing Kimmich as that holding defending role, but I absolutely agree with you. I always feel as if Tolisso has had it up against him, um, who was once our record signing before his French compatriot, uh, Luca Hernandez, when uh, Tolisso came from Olympique Lyon for around 40 million euro a couple summers ago. Cruciate ligament injuries, injuries at terrible times when he's starting to play well. I am with you 100%. I'm backing him. I want him to have a breakout season. And I think he knows that if both Tiago and Martinez definitely leave, this could be a massive, massive chance for him. And, you know, whether Hansi Flick just goes with like a 4 2 3 1 with uh, Kimmich and Goretzka in the middle or changes to a 4 3 3 at times, there is room for Tuliso uh, to be a big part of that. And, uh, hashtag step over King Mikel Cuisance, I feel, is definitely a part of the future, especially if he can continue to uh, mature and grow as a player. So, yeah, I just have to fully agree with you not to literally just do that, but you, you brought up all the good points, and especially since we've already got both uh, Tangai uh, Nyanzu Kwasi and uh, a certain someone from Manchester City, who I have to give you credit when you guys did that transfer podcast. That was the most perfectly timed hallelujah soundtrack. <laughs> and I was literally laughing in my car for five I to ten minutes. Pride. Yeah, I take I, pride in my ability I, to splice audio I into a podcast. <laughs> laughing so hard at that. And like figuratively, that was like the biggest champagne bottle pop in BFW history. We we broke a hundred stories writing about, writing about Leroy Sané. We joked at one point about getting to 100 when we were when we were halfway there and it actually happened and i can't believe that saga is finally done but yes we obviously now have another very very valuable asset uh, in our midfield albeit a different part of a midfield than Taliso, Kimmich or Goretzka will be playing in but yes 100% Jake Taliso hope he has a fantastic season i hope he stays if Thiago and Martinez leave and he has a good season injury free again knocking on wood i hope the mic picks that up so the last question we are going to tackle at eric probst they ask should we be worried about chelsea football club giving their recent form and our long layoff now keep in mind this question was sent to us on july 7th so a lot with chelsea has happened since then i was speaking with uh our sister blog uh we ain't got no history the Chelsea blog from SB Nation. I was speaking with one of their contributors, Andre Carlisle, and we were talking about doing a podcast before the, uh, this upcoming game, and he said, I don't know. All I imagine talking about is nothing but utter sadness to bring because I can't imagine that we'd overcome this uh, this deficit. What I'll say to... That point is this. I think that Chelsea are a very good team. I think they're a great team off the rebound. I think they've done some really, really good things. Do I think it's enough to overcome a 3 nothing deficit with the next game being played at the Allianz Arena? No. <laughs> Just honestly, no. I'm going to say no. I don't think that Chelsea's... Uh, their fixtures have been great. Their fixtures have been good. I will give them credit. They've had some players that weren't really uh, that phenomenal for them that have really, really come out and done really well. Looking at you, Christian Pulisic, I'm proud of you, my big boy. But that being said, like their biggest competition that they 
that they've played has been uh, it's Liverpool, and that's coming up this weekend. So, to me, their results in these other games have been great, but I don't know exactly if they've been great enough. Like, for example, their most recent win was a one nothing against Norwich. Right Since that question got asked, it was July 4th, they lost 3 nothing to Sheffield United. They only managed to beat Crystal Palace 3-2, to and that was on July 7th. And just for the sake of uh, transparency, I'll do the three fixtures before then. They beat Watford 3 nothing. they lost 3-2 to West Ham, and they beat Man City 2-1. to So... All of that just screams inconsistencies that we've seen from every team, uh, except for those that have done exceptionally well uh, in the return from the coronavirus. Uh, Bayern, I would consider to be one of those teams. The other two I would consider as teams that have done very well since the restart would be Manchester City and Real Madrid. I think those are the only ones that have done phenomenally. Uh, Also, sorry, Atalanta. Of course, Atalanta. I feel very sad that they're not going to win Serie A, but um, I don't think Chelsea is going to be able to do enough in order to uh, get them covered, which, not to mention, the game that we have against Chelsea is only a couple of weeks away, and it doesn't seem that long ago since we won the DFB Pokal. So with players returning from vacation... Uh, relatively soon, I think. I think it's possible. I think we'll be able to do well. Yeah, just I mean, first off, from a fantasy Premier League point of view, Chelsea players are quite possibly the most annoying thing in the existence of history of statistics and Premier League and fantasy. Uh, guys like Aspiliqueta, Willian, just like just how like you were mentioning the results, like the inconsistency, barely scraping past Aston Villa. Beating Man City. Thank you for reminding me to set my fantasy Premier League team, by the way. <laughs> it is frustrating. Somehow I haven't... For some reason, I thought I had Christian Pulisic starting, but I think I got rid of him in favor of Jack Grealish, and that's something that I'm going to amend right now. But go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about uh, captaining Willian recently against Norwich. But anywho, it's just like... And then... Oh, I have to give him a shout-out. Beating... I Salah. Imagine how I feel. <laughs> For uh, I gotta give him a shout out. Like it is actually crazy. So in the context of things, that Chelsea win over Man City, even if that was a one-one draw, that would have won Liverpool the league. So technically, technically, Christian Pulisic, the American hero, Captain America, scored the goal that basically sealed the deal for Liverpool winning the Premier League. So it was a a very cool moment for me. I was at work. It was pretty empty. Uh, and let's just say I thoroughly celebrated the rest of that week, Liverpool winning the league. So it's very funny that Pulisic wound up uh, doing the bits for us then, keeping a clean sheet against Leicester City and then losing to West Ham out of the blue, beating Watford, barely, barely beating Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace hit the post right at the end when it was 3-2. And as you said, losing 3-0 to Sheffield. And I just remember seeing Frank Lampard's face after that 3-0 and it's just one of those moments you could tell he wanted nothing to do with the post-match interview and he just had to suck it up and sit there and so for me just the overriding theme of inconsistency makes me not worried for Chelsea in the least bit I just think that 
given the form these two teams are in, Bayern and Chelsea, especially with that three-goal cushion that we have, everything is going to favor us because we know that Chelsea have to come at us if they want to have any chance. And the more they open themselves up, the more the defensive vulnerabilities are going to be exposed. And even if Chelsea get a goal or two, there's no, I don't see there's any way that we don't score at home at the Allianz Arena with how frail Chelsea's defense is. And I just think that this is perfectly set up for us. Um, and I was trying to see, I thought someone had had a, uh, I know someone had a red card. I'm completely drawing a blank now. Um, someone had a red card against us. Oh, here it is. Uh, who was it? Da, 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 da. Marcus Alonso. Yeah, so they'll be without Alonso for uh, for leg two. Sorry, that took me a second. But I knew that there was someone who had a red card that will be missing. So he'll be dearly missed too. So that's another reason for Chelsea to be concerned about their defense. So yeah, I don't see any problems. On to the next round to face either Barcelona or SSC Napoli. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is going to be our last episode for a while. We all need a vacation. So we're going to do that. Nevertheless, we're going to return in time for the start of the Champions League. We will be talking, as I mentioned, with our um, with our sister blog over at Chelsea, We Ain't Got No History, and we will be sure to bring you the best analysis, reactions, and the like after everything restarts so with that being said be sure to like rate share subscribe and download us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and anywhere else to get your quality audio content follow us on twitter at jefferson fenner at tommy adams 71 and at bavarian fb works read our content every day at bavarianfootballworks.com and until next time everybody stay safe we will see you later auf wiedersehen